Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Drive to deep center field, going back Hernandez at the track, right to the wall, gone! Elvis Andrews! And 29 other MLB clubs. High drive, deep left field, Alvino left the building. Guerrero lifts one to left field, and gone! Otani! That was a moonshot out there in the right center. Alonzo defends his title, the 2021 Derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from OPS Plus to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. It is A's Cast Live and one of our all-time favorites. And it bugs me because the nation has taken him by storm. We found him first. We knew he was a great interview. When no one else knew, now I got to watch. He's on Fox. He's everywhere. The great Liam Hendricks is back with us here on A's Cast Live. I can't tell you how happy I am for you, your family. How have you been? I've been great. I've been great. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, you guys helped me start it off and then realized my uh, potential dream of – possibly working in a broadcasting booth after I'm done playing. So, uh, yeah, it's just glad to be back, and uh, <laughs> it's always fun coming back down to the Coliseum. You know, what's interesting is I remember talking to you about how you were partnering with this Hall of Famer guy and ARF and Tony LaRussa. Like, the, the, the odds that you would end up playing for him at his age, what's that been like? Because you already had the relationship prior. Yeah, I mean, the relationship, playing with my age as well, I mean, you can throw that out there. But uh, it's been fantastic, obviously, uh, knowing the relationship that I had with him and the organization played a big part in it. Not only that, but also what he was able to do when he did manage as uh, kind of the the kind of originator of the closing role. I mean, it's with Eckersley back in the day, and it's uh, yeah, it's been fun. It's been an experience, and it's been uh, it's been a blast being able to kind of learn from his tutelage. You know, you know we think about, we always joked with you about, you know, you know, you go from this role of being DFA to next, you know, you're starting the wild card game to the next year you're on the media guide. Just what has this been like for you now and now, the national expo- the exposure? And it was great seeing you fill the dreams game. I mean, the big interview you had on Fox. Just what has that been like for you? Uh, it's been fun and it's been exhausting, but it's uh, it's been a blast. And the best thing about it is I keep getting messages from people back in Australia talking about it. 
And that's something that, <laughs> as you guys know, I am very, very proud of where I'm from. Yeah. I'm very yeah. forward thinking with hopefully we can get some more Australian kids over here and, and getting them exposed to Major League Baseball, getting them exposed to baseball in general, and either moving them over to the college realm or moving them over to uh, the possibility of working in a pro ball and then building the relationship. I mean, Australia's ranked as number six in the world, and it's for a reason, but uh, there's definitely an opportunity to creep up those leaderboards with the more kids that come over. I still have an Australian caller because of you. So, like, it'll be like like today, Tuesday, but it's Wednesday there. He still calls in is still a fan because of you. Well, I, yeah, I mean, that's the little relationships. It's the little things like that that have an opportunity to grow into something really special in Australia, and it's uh, it's, a, it's a smaller community over there, but it's a very tight-knit community. And I guarantee you the guy who called, whether he knew baseball or not before, he's definitely searched it out in Australia, and he's probably going down to your local club ball teams just trying to be a fan and, and be involved with the next generation. You know, I think whenever XAs come here, and it's a special relationship you have with the organization, whether it's Bob Melvin, it's your former teammates. Uh, I, I remember when Josh Donaldson came back, he spent more time in the A's clubhouse than he did in the Blue Jays. And I think about when Marcus came back with the Toronto Blue Jays. I mean, it was um, – it, this place means a lot to you guys. What is it like as a former player to come back here? Yeah, it's obviously – it's huge coming back. Obviously, the, I, I got my chance over here. It um, not, not like I've, I mean, I'm, I got my first full season with the Blue Jays, but it was here where I was finally able to kind of relax and establish myself and then – go through what could possibly be one of the toughest times of my baseball career with being DFA'd in 18, but I think it was, I was talking to Bowman about it today, it was a necessary evil. It was one of those things where it's, it, it can go one of two ways. You can let it kind of wallow in you and you can all of a sudden be a sad sack and then kind of not do anything with it, or hopefully the way I went with it, which is you learn from it, you learn how to deal with people on a better better level, and then you are able to turn that into something special and that's what uh, I was able to do luckily enough I got called back up and and was able to rebuild the relationships that uh, that were burnt during that during that time period but uh, it's it's only made my relationship with a lot of these guys a lot stronger not only that but physically what you did where you said if I'm going out I'm gonna go my way and you remade yourself back to what you believed in in AAA which led you back here. Talk about that story, because I think as a professional athlete, at some point, you can have all the data in the world. You can have all the video. At some point, you got to do it your way. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those things where I, I got DFA'd, and I, I cleared, and I went to Nashville, and it was one of those things where I, I spoke to Rick Rod, I spoke to Fran, and I just told them, like, look, I, I don't want to be a distraction, but I know that, that I've got a lot left in me. Um, doing some soul searching like look I want to go back to what got me to be successful what got my arm to be in the best shape it was back in the day and that involves a lot of long toss and a lot of kind of not doing too much conditioning not working out as much and doing all these things like and they both said the same thing look as long as you're not a distraction you've been around long enough that you have earned this right um and I that was my vow like I will not be a distraction to these guys here but I will make sure I do everything I need to do to be on the to be able to go every day and a lot of the credit comes down to those two guys. Emot was there as well. And a lot of it also has to fall on uh, Danny Coulomb. I mean, he was my throwing partner almost every day. He was the one who taught me how to regrip my curveball. He was the one who kind of, we were both grinding around through it. He was my roommate in the, when I was down there, which I hadn't had a roommate in the last five years. So that was different. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I got very lucky in the people that I surrounded myself with. And I would not be here without those guys. When I think about having a strong woman in your life, I remember having a conversation with your wife in Cleveland when we were there. God, I don't even know what that was. Was that 2019 probably? 
and where she said she can be hard on you. Can and, be. Yeah, but it, <laughs> it's been great for your career. Without a doubt. Uh, I suffer from the same thing my dad suffered with, which was complacency. Like, he, he brought me out about it when I had my first good year, then I had a bit of a rough 16 when I came over to the age for the first time, and he's like, that was the crux of my, my football was complacency. And he goes, luckily I had a strong woman behind me. And he goes, I know you've got the same, and that was Christy. And she's, uh, she's a godsend. She's a lifesaver. I would not be anywhere close to where I am right now, whether, whether it be because of the success I had and then I would have gone down the dark path or whether it be when I was in the lowest of lows and she was able to pick me up. But she's got that uh, innate ability to be able to bring, bring, the, bring what I need to hear, whether I accept it at the right time or not is another thing. But, I mean, just as of two weeks ago, she, I called her after a game against the Yankees and I gave up another homo because I can't get any of the Yankees out apparently. And uh, she was like, yeah, you're tipping. I'm like, okay, do you know what? She goes, no, but they don't take, good, a good, they don't take swings like that off you. You're tipping. Went to the field the next day. Fair enough, looked at it. I was tipping. I was showing, uh, showing the ball a little bit too much when I was throwing a fastball, and that's the thing. That's I didn't, amazing, by the way. I didn't accept it at the time, but you sit there and you kind of accept it. You let it sink in, and the woman's bloody right every time. I didn't and realize it, she's oh, like a pitching Lee. coach, too. Oh, she's everything. Pitching, <laughs> mental mental skills. I mean, if I hit, she'd be a hitting coach. It yeah. was. Uh, it's one of those things where I've learned to just accept it because she's always right, and it pisses me off to no end but at the end of the day i mean i it, it there's not too many people in this game that don't have a strong woman behind them like telling them certain things at the right time when did you as a former starter then forced to be a reliever really accept hey i'm the guy at the end of the game when did you really accept that and and embrace that and love that to make you what you are today well i've loved it from the first save i ever got and that was in detroit in 2017 didn't get another opportunity till mid-June of 19, but um, I still don't think I've fully accepted it, and I don't want to. I don't want to fully accept it because I want to make sure that I earn it every time I pitch. And that's one thing that I've always stressed is, like, nothing is ever given. Nothing is ever, like, a birthright or nothing is ever, oh, yeah, you were good last year, so you've kind of – you own it this year. It's like, no. You need to make sure that you go out there and own it every single time. If you don't work towards something at bettering yourself every time, it's just going to go worse, and you're going to be out of that role soon enough. You know, I've known you quite a while. I know one thing that wasn't you is being an opener. I didn't mind it, but I got fat because <laughs> I'd, I'd throw the first inning and then I'd go inside and eat the entire time. So that wasn't good. It worked out really well for my wife in, in 18 when I got called back up, though, because she was still in Florida. Time change meant that she turned the game on at 10, watched my inning, went to sleep. So yeah. <laughs> if I was still a reliever, she, that would have, yeah, our relationship may have been a little strained at that point. But, um, I didn't mind opening because at that point, that was what I needed mentally to be able to tell, hey, look, I'll go whatever inning you want me to, whether it's the first, whether it's the ninth, whether it's whatever inning. Just tell me when to pitch, and I'll go out there and pitch. And that's that was something that I needed. I needed to get out of my own head thinking that I was too good and I was too good to be in anyone from the first through six. I needed to be the seven, eight, nine, and that's what I deserve, and that's this and like that. And once I got out of that, it was just throw me whenever. I don't care what inning I throw. I just want to play. Let me play. You know, looking at you guys and, you know, obviously rooting for you, been watching the White Sox from afar, you got a really good team. And obviously you're going to win the Central. But just talk about how good, how young and athletic and how good these White Sox are. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun team. Um, and I'm not saying that we're going to win the division until it's final because that's the same thing as kind of accepting the role in the ninth. It's um, – 
that was one of the issues that I saw last year with these guys when they made the playoffs is they made the playoffs and then hit cruise control and then all of a sudden lost it. You hurry up. I'm going after you. Uh, piss off, Tim. All right, Tom. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's me, so we'll, we'll be here. Do you have another headset that we can throw him on there so I can talk to him? Uh, <laughs> Tony Kemp, by the way, just came by and wants to uh, hurry this thing along. He, we, were, we were with him yesterday. Hey, I bought you a sword. You should be fine. <laughs> um, no, so, uh, yeah, it, uh, it, it's a fun team, though. But it's one of those things where they need to – same thing that we did last year was we need to work on making sure that we hit the last game of the season on full full ball, and uh, but other than that, like it's a fun team. We got we got a lot of characters out there. We got a lot of guys that are willing to uh, kind of play that role of kind of being the villain almost a little bit. Like you look at Ta, like he's not afraid to be outspoken. He's not afraid to uh, kind of be that guy. But he's also one of the closest people to me on this team because I'll be running in if I throw a couple bad pitches, he'll be the first guy there yelling at me, which is what I need. And that's the kind of relationship that a lot of these guys have. It's it's making sure that everybody's held accountable, but at the same time knowing that we don't care how everything goes. Like It's going to sort itself out. We're not going to put any added pressure on you, but we're going to be the first guy there to defend you if something goes wrong. Yeah, you guys got a lot of swagger. I think there is there, there is no question about that. And, uh, you know, and bringing Kimbrell over, what's that like been for you? Because now you have two legitimate options whether it's eighth, ninth, whatever it is, what's that been like? He's been awesome. Uh, he's been fantastic. Like, obviously, I I was asking about him before we even got him. Like, it, during the All-Star game, I was asking Bar Matt Barnes about him and, like, how he is as a person. Because I know Craig a little bit off the field, but I'd never experienced the way he goes about his daily routine on the field. And it's it's something that we behold. It's, it's, it's something special what he's been able to do for the length of time. And luckily enough, I've known some guys that have played with him that have, all have glowing reports of the guy. And they've all been kind of uh, – They've all been certified when he came over to us, but he's been fantastic. It's we both have the same mentality. It's, it's we don't care when we pitch. We're our chance. We're here to win a win a championship, and that's all that matters. So if you think I'm going to be best in like the way he threw the seventh in Kansas City, the way I've gone out there earlier in the earlier in the games as well, it's it's one of those things where it doesn't matter how we go. We're trying to win, and if that's the best chance of us winning, then that's what we're going to do. Let's end on this. Did you ever think you'd be uh, thrown in a cornfield? I did not. I definitely didn't think I'd be the first ever person to get a blown save in Iowa in the big leagues. And and a win. And a win. So I've got that. <laughs> I almost threw the jersey in the trash after the game, and then I was like, nah, this is something probably It was cool, cool right? It's covered in Gatorade because I was the first person in line high-fiving Tim for taking that hook out of my mouth. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely something cool, and hopefully we get another chance to experience it because that was something – that was something really special, and hopefully if we get a chance to do it again, we can embrace it, and hopefully I don't suck again. Well, I, I got to tell you, the optics on TV when the when the balloon, the hot air balloons rolling in, I mean, it looked like a great time. And, of course, you had the big interview on Fox. It looked like you guys were having a blast. It was it was a lot of fun. Um, it was a lot of fun. The uniforms are great. I really enjoyed those. Uh, obviously, everything was great up until I pitched. Other than that, we, we won, so that's all that matters. But, um, yeah, it was, it was such a cool experience, and, and hopefully I get a chance to experience it again because it was, it was so, I love those things. I love the breaking the norms. I love those things, like the special events, like the opening series in Japan a couple of years ago. That was fantastic. I'm really working with MLB about hopefully trying to get another game back to Australia because that, uh, that would be something that would really, really open, open up for me, be able to get over there and, uh, and get some family and friends be able to see me pitch in a big league game for the first time. Well, I know we're on the field, and – got to kind of say this lightly but uh we really miss you <laughs> a lot uh, i've been keeping up i mean uh, 
there's still a lot of talent in that bullpen. There's still a lot of talent in the rotation. I think it's uh, it. You go through ebbs and flows and stages, and I think these guys are. They'll come back stronger once they. That's just that that they lean that little kick, that little like, uh, baseball gods thing that to fall their way, and it'll be back to rolling. And then, uh, hopefully, we can. Um, regardless of what happens these next three days, we play Boston right after you guys. So hopefully, we can uh, we can help you guys out a little bit and then take care of the Red Sox for you. Well, we not only miss you on the field, but we miss you here on AceCast. I mean, you you were on this show more than any – I mean, you're the all-time leader in the clubhouse. I was, I was about to ask you that. Am I still the leader on this thing? Yeah, I, I think you're still well, – remember, <laughs> we weren't on the field last year. Oh, of course, yeah. So, I, I mean, I have to. I mean, you've got some characters over here. You've got some guys that uh, I'm sure give some good interviews if uh, if you can finagle them down here with Sergio and guys like that. I think that I think they'd be a blast. Hey, always appreciated it. Appreciate it, guys. I mean, Thanks for having me you're again. The man. And, and thank you for everything over the last – five years or the last two years that we've been and around you, together you know we're rooting for you i appreciate we'll it. always root for you i'm always i'm still i'm always rooting for the a's it's still they still hold a real soft spot in my heart the great liam Hendricks, right here on a's cast live this is chris townsend for my favorite golf course in the bay area cinnabar hills golf club tucked in the beautiful hills of san jose cinnabar hills offers the finest 27 holes of championship golf in silicon valley come see the amazing new renovated clubhouse and restaurant plus patio dining with the most breathtaking views cinnabar hills is far more than a golf course one of the premier places in the bay area to host weddings and any type of events there's no golf experience like cinnabar hills golf club go to cinnabarhills.com that's cinnabarhills.com A's Cast Live continues from Ricky Henderson Field. Here's Chris Townsend. Tony, how are you? Good to see you again. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So good off day yesterday, it sounds like. Oh, Napa was beautiful, man. Yeah, it was beautiful. We uh, saw Liam. Obviously, it was good uh, Good catching up with him. He's a, he's a character. But, uh, yeah, it was a good time. You know, when you think about where the A's are right now, at some point, it's a math equation. How many games you have left, what you're back in the wild card, what you're back in the division. Just give me the mindset, the flight coming back. It's a long flight from Toronto. What what it was like? Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I, I never majored or d- took a math class at Vandy, so I'm not quite good at math. All I know is that we have today, and that's all we have, and we need to win, and that's all we need to do. Um, uh, the flight was pretty uh, was pretty sad at first, but I feel like uh, these guys are pretty good at bouncing back, and I think that's what makes it special. Well, you got to know, you can't play the uh, I'm not a smart guy when you go to Vandy. <laughs> you, I can, can, you can't <laughs> play that card. I can. I, I, there was a uh, major in communications, and, uh, you know, I didn't have to take math because me and math just don't mix. I, it just We just don't mix, man. I can add and subtract pretty good, but once we get into calculus and stuff, you just you might as well count me out. So were you thinking about being a broadcaster when you're in school? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I took public speaking, took interpersonal communication, uh, did the whole nine, and I was like, man, this is felt pretty natural. So uh, they're like, hey, do public speaking about uh, steroid usage or about something. I was like, oh, I can do that. Well, well, maybe someday, <laughs> maybe someday we we we'll can see. have you right here with me. We'll see. We maybe be able to do that. We'll you know? see. They're gonna have to kick me off that field. Well, you've played more games this year than you've ever played in your career. How does yeah. that feel? You know what? My body feels good. And um, honestly, uh, this is such a great group of guys to go to battle with each day that I don't even notice it, honestly, to be completely honest. Like September body, September grind, I feel like it's – you might as well tell me it's June. Um, I feel like this year, better than every year, I've taken my care of my body as far as recovery, getting in the cold tub, 
uh, making sure I get a massage at least once every week. And, um, yeah, body, body feels pretty good, rather, other than hit, getting hit in the hamstring by 95 in the first inning. But other than that, we're good. Uh, lately, we got a little power stroke going. Where's this? Where, where, where's this power stroke coming from? Man, I honestly do not know. Maybe it's because my wife's six months pregnant, and I, my daddy strength is just like, hey, this is this is this is this is just the beginning. Hopefully, <laughs> so we'll see. No, I'm just, I'm not trying to hit home runs, man. This is a tough place to get it out. I'm just trying to put my best swing on some stuff. Is this your first? Uh, yeah, first first kid. Oh yeah. yeah. We're we're, uh, we're waiting to find out. So, uh, we're taking. She's due on Christmas. And uh, we don't know gender, so we're taking guesses. So if you have a guess. A Christmas baby. Christmas baby. Wow. God, God's good, man. God, wow. God's good. And, so. and you know what's funny? You'll be stressing like no other. <laughs> and then three kids from now, you'll be like, what? This yeah. is a breeze. Do you have any? I have, I have twins. Yeah. Boy or girl? Twin girls. Oh, cute. Love that. Sophomores in high school. Oh, you know what so I'm doing right now? You're doing. I'm it. looking for cars. You're doing and it. And we're looking at colleges. Can now. we get a used Honda? <laughs> I mean, uh, it's unbelievable. No, I want a girl. I want a little girl. Oh, they're the best. I know. They're always. You know what? It's great. You know, everybody always talks about. Oh, you know, you want the boy, and yeah. Because yeah, once we had twins, I was good. I You're did. like, yeah. But it's like, yes, I would have liked little league. I would have loved all of that. <laughs> The girls will always love you forever. Always love you forever. And uh, my wife's like, do you want a boy? I was like, I want a healthy kid, but I, I want a girl, selfishly. But we'll see. We'll see. We're excited about it. When you think about versatility and your game, you know, I, I, I've, I've, I've joked with Chad Pender about this. <laughs> you got to bring multiple gloves to the ballpark. Yeah. Oh, man. What is that like where you basically look at Bob Melvin and go, yeah. hey, wherever you need me. Yeah, I'm ready. Even shortstop. Yeah, that was a dream. That was a dream. Uh, you know what? I was actually talking to KD about that in left field today because I had my infielder glove out there. He said, you, why do you have your infielder glove out here? And I said, man, three or four years ago, um, I made the transition from, you know, in mid-game going from left field to second base. And a ball tipped off the bottom of my glove. And I think subconsciously I thought that I still had my outfield glove on. And so now I only practice with my infield glove. And the outfield glove only comes out when I'm in the outfield in the game. So – in my head, I'm saying that I always have a little shorter of a glove. It just helps me mentally uh, to always make sure that I'm really tracking the ball in my glove and not just take my eye off it. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been obviously it's <laughs> I think it's been helping. See, so for me, like as a former pitcher, yeah, wherever I came in the game didn't really matter. It's pitching. There is a huge difference between left field, uh, second base, uh, and now I'm throwing you at shortstop. Yeah. I can put you in right field. I mean, Man. just talk about yeah. mentally how you prepare for that. I think uh, being able to be a Swiss Army knife, and uh, I think the biggest part for me is I'm a big visualization person. Uh, you know, before each game, I like to close my eyes for at least uh, 10 to 30 minutes if I can get a nap in. But before I take a nap, I usually visualize myself making plays in the outfield, in the infield. Uh, no matter where it is. And I think that is really what helps me because I'm already um, training my brain for success before it even happens. And I think that's a that's a big part of it. Well, and I think about where you went to school. And mm -hmm. I don't think, you know, because everybody thinks, oh, it's Major League Baseball or it's Minor League Baseball. Yeah. I don't think people really understand <laughs> what these – and I think it started in the SEC – I played at San Jose State, so we never really played against the SEC. You know, it was either, yeah. you know, playing Stanford, Cal, whatever. It was Pac-10, Pac-12. Yeah. yeah. Just talk about the amount of money, <laughs> the technology 
and everything that's happening in the SEC that really trains you guys. Yeah. The football money came in and changed everything. Exactly. Um, all right, after this we have one more question because I, right. I have to hit. But uh, Vanderbilt is one of those schools that prepares you for the minor leagues. Um, playing in the SEC, playing at the top school, um, the technology that's in there, you're prepared for each game. And, uh, you know, I tell people this all the time. Um, the first week that you're there, you're a freshman, and, uh, you know, we talk about the Band of Brothers, and we actually watch, we actually watch clips of um, the Band of Brothers, and it's, we don't even call the dugout a dugout. It's called a bunker. And mentally just preparing yourself for, hey, I want this guy in my foxhole. I want this guy in my foxhole. And, um, you know, who do you want in your bunker? And I think it all starts, starts with that. I mean, that even talk about the facilities or the cages or anything like that. It's just mentally prepares you for everything at hand. Hey, we always appreciate the time. You're yeah. one of the best guys we can have hey, on. Appreciate Don't you guys. take BP. Right. Sorry about that. The great Tony Kemp. And, and, and I got to tell you, you can tell, like when, you, when we've had him on, you can tell very, very bright guy um, and well-trained. And that's the thing. It's like people don't understand some of these programs. And, Cody, we, we've brought it up before where these programs, you got to remember, they're connected to the school's hospital. So not only is the hospital working on how to better – how do I want to put this? Make these athletes better. But they also deal with mental performance. And that's something that we're not – I mean, yes, we have Kaiser Permanente, but – you really have, when you go to look at these huge universities in the South, in the SEC, the money that's coming in from football, the money that's coming in from basketball, and then all these schools have these hospitals and they're so involved in sports, uh, he's a great example of that. Uh, Kaiser, Kaiser Permanente Thrive, uh, my soon-to-be wife works for Kaiser, so I'll throw that plug in there for you. There you go. Uh, I mean, look how many good players have come out of Vanderbilt, though. I mean... Just over the last or 10 just years. just have the SEC. Yeah, but, I mean, Vandy's a factory. I mean, look at the guys. The Giants' best hitter right now, I mean, well, besides Buster Posey, is from Vandy. Uh, Mike Yastrzemski, they were teammates there. Van the, pe the players that Vandy produces is unbelievable. And the SEC, what they're able to do with players, I mean, it's it's unreal. And, and you see guys come out of Stanford, but what Vandy's been able to do, um, Tony's versatility and what he's been able to bring to the A's, it's been a godsend because he can play multiple positions and everything. So it's been great to see. And it's uh, to have him play more games this year than he ever has in his career, that just shows the uh, dedication and hard work he's had th throughout his career. Is that is that Billy Bean? Yeah, Billy Bean's here. Uh, you know, the last time Billy Bean was here, he was on for 36 minutes. I don't, I don't – is he here? Because, does he want to do round two? Uh, I doubt we will get him today. But uh, it's not often that Billy Bean is on the field. This would be – Ooh, what, the third time of the year we've seen him on the field? You might need to bring him over here because uh, his uh, Trojans did beat your Spartans. Yeah, I, know. I, I thought they were going to cover the spread in that game, but it was it was looking good and then circled through the pick six. It was a very inconsistent offensive day for for the, for my San Jose State Spartans. Uh, a little bit. It was a great college football weekend, though. Uh, and then yesterday was – who played last night? Oh, the Lane train. Oh, the Lane, Lane Kiffin coach. He had COVID, but – Old Miss looked good, but uh, I gotta tell you, Notre Dame, Florida State was an epic one. I didn't even know Mackenzie Mackenzie Milton was still playing college football because of the knee surgery. The knee surgery, yeah. and here he is coming back. But that was a good game too. But it was incredible. Uh, but then Brian Kelly's <laughs> Brian Kelly's words after the game, but what he said, and then of course Roxy sends us a statement that someone joked about, and then the and that'll be uh, that's a that's a deep drive to the left, and it'll be four. That, that stuff that people do with that on Twitter is incredible. But 
Uh, it was a good day of baseball yesterday around the league. If you look around the league, the Rays coming back against the Red Sox, the Blue Jays thumping the Yankees. Uh, a lot of good stuff happened in baseball yesterday when the A's, A's and the White Sox both had an off day yesterday. So. Well, the bottom line with the A's, the math is not, not on their side anymore. And with what the Seattle Mariners have been able to do, and you just keep, you know, the Houston Astros have basically keep trying to keep the A's alive for the division. And you think about, you know, the Red Sox with the COVID outbreak and they're inconsistent. The Yankees not having a good weekend uh, against the Baltimore Orioles. The A's are still in this thing. There's no question about it. But the math with what, 25 left, right? Sounds about right. Well, what's the record? Yeah, 73 and what will be 74 I think and 63. It's 25 games left. It's not on their side. Well, right now, Fangraphs, I look today, Fangraphs gives the A's a 7.7% chance to make the postseason. Uh, do you remember when that was recently at 30 something? It was in the 30. Yeah, yeah. it was 30. The, worst, the A's currently six, six games behind the Astros. The Mariners are five and a half behind them, but the Mariners just lost. Uh, they're playing a series against Houston again. So here you go. Seattle has a negative run differential, but they're playing so well. I don't understand how they're doing it, but they have a their their lineup is. I mean, Kyle Seager's close to having a hundred RBIs on the year. Yeah, but you can't in a baseball season that's 162 games. If you get out to a horrific start, but get hot in the second half, what is the point of even looking at the first half statistics? They're yeah. not the same team. Here, here's one for you. The Yankees lost have lost three straight, but. Joey Gallo sitting today. He's sitting 130 since showing the Yankees with 61 strikeouts and 123 at-bats. 61 strikeouts and 123 at-bats. And they just placed their setup man, Jonathan Nawaziga, on the injured list. And then the Red Sox blew a seven-run lead yesterday. So there's still hope if you're looking at the wild card race because the Yankees and Red Sox are both struggling. But Toronto's surging. They've won five straight. But is your best shot... We can take the voice of summer yeah, we, anytime. Yeah, we, we can do 430, Ken. I mean, when, Ken, when Ken Korak wants to hit in the lineup, we say just get in the lineup and hit. We don't worry about a time. Yeah, we, we do Put it now, the headset on, let's go. Uh, by the way, bullpen. Oh, yeah, I, I added to it. August uh, 20th through September 4th, 643 ERA, the worst in baseball, and it's like. 12, just, 12 home runs allowed. Just coming off a series where you saw Marcus Simeon, now we're going to see Liam Hendricks. It's like. It's not easy, but, but you know, it is what it is, and there's a shot. And Ken Korak, that's all that matters. They got a shot. 25 games left. You're only two back in the loss column from the second wild card. So I know that Toronto and the Mariners are in there too, but if you take care of business yourself, you can pass a couple of clubs, and it's, it's doable. They've just got to play well. I mean, it's, it's in their own hands right now. And six games at home here. Uh, but they can't afford any slip-ups the rest of the way. Have you done the Bob Melvin show yet? I have done the Bob Melvin show today. Okay, so you got to see him. You got to talk to him. Yes. How's Bob doing? He's doing really well. I think he's, you know, Bob is one of those guys who really tries to be even keel. He doesn't get, he subscribes to that, that mantra, you don't get too high or too low. And he sincerely believes in this club right now, Chris, and that getting on a roll is something that they can certainly do. And, I think one of the things that, even though they were blanked on Sunday, Robbie Ray was phenomenal, right? He would have beaten a lot of people. That he thinks the A's offense is at a point now where they can strike. And that if they get some decent pitching, they're going to be okay. How do you feel about this series when looking at the totality of 
what we're going to be dealing with. Do they make the playoffs or not? How big is this series right here? Well, it's really big because they can't afford to go out and lose two out of three or get swept or whatever. I, I don't know. I don't have a handle on the White Sox right now because they're dealing with injuries. Giolito is out. As you know, Tim Anderson, who just kills the A's, is out. And, uh, you know, Carlos Rodon, they're not going to see him in the series. They're not going to see Lance Lynn. So if ever there was a time to catch the White Sox, Andrew Vaughn, even though he's almost playing at home here, has been slumping. Yeah. So if there was a time to catch them, maybe this is the best time to catch them. Isn't it weird how the American League, there's just really, it's been all streaks. Everybody has mm-hmm. just been so streaky. I know probably the, the, the best streakiest team has been Tampa Bay. But it seems like everybody has just been about streaks this year. And that's why you play 162. And that's why at the end of it, you kind of see where you are. And, and usually at the end of 162, Chris, you are where you should be. Tampa Bay is a whole different deal. Like, they're winning, and, like, the way they beat the Red Sox to come back last night is just crazy. And that's what they've been doing. And, uh, you know, they've got a shot to go back to the World Series this year. Yeah, and if you look statistically, there's some there's some issues with that team, but they've been so good. And then we come out of the series with Toronto, and you start looking at the, the, the entire AL East – I mean, there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of good teams. If you win that division, I don't know how you wouldn't be the favorite to win the World Series. And look what Toronto did after a day game at home, and they flew to New York, and they played a day game yesterday, and they just drilled the Yankees. They got talent, man. They've got (laughs) tremendous talent, and they're going to be good for the next several years, don't you think? I mean, I don't don't know if Marcus is coming back or Robbie Ray is going to be a free agent, but the rest of those guys are coming back. They are really, really good. Well, they're young. Yeah. <laughs> they're young. Bichette, Flat Jr., who's – Flat Jr. might be the most accomplished young hitter I've ever seen. That's saying a lot. Well, Chris, look at how many opposite field hits he got against the A's. He doesn't overswing. He takes what you give him, and he goes the other way if he has to. And he was, like, peppering right field against the Athletics. You know, I, I, you know, I, I think I actually said this to you in one of our interviews over the weekend where you're like – if there wasn't a guy named Shohei Otani, and with Trout being out, I, you know, Salvi Perez has obviously had a huge year in Kansas City, but I, mean, I think we'd be talking about the front runner of the American League for the MVP would be Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Yeah, there's no doubt, and I'm a little biased toward players who play on teams that are in contention because somebody once said the pros play in September. So when you're under the pressure of a pennant race, that's when you – to me, you kind of measure a player. Do they step up when everything's on the line? And he's, he's doing that. Now, Otani is on a different planet. I mean, he's established, uh, you know, records that are just ungodly right now. So it would be pretty hard to knock him off that pedestal when it comes to the, the MVP, Chris. But, yeah, no, you're right about Vlad. I don't know where to go on that, by the way, because obviously, like in my family, I got an MVP trophy at my house. My grandfather yeah, was, no, a, I know. was a 1947 MVP because he played big. But I understand, and, and it goes back to, like, the great Andre Dawson when he won it in Chicago, and they were a last-place team. How do you think we should handle this? Because I don't want to take away a guy who's historic, but you're historic on a team that stinks. What do we do? I've always, like I said, I've been biased toward players because value to me is winning. How do you define value? Well, your team's winning and they're in contention and you've helped them get to that point. Or you've been the most instrumental player on that club to get them into contention or, you know, ideally in the postseason. 
I've qualified it by saying, Chris, if there's someone who does something that's truly exceptional, that's a separator. And Otani has done that this year. So it's really hard to argue what he's done. Although he's been the most outstanding player. Is, the mo- is he the most valuable player? His teams, they, they haven't done anything this year. That's not his fault. So I think that, that to me it would go against my own, kind of, and I don't have a vote, but I would make an exception for Otani this year. I still think that's crazy that we're still so archaic that we're going by the riders. And the reason why the riders have the votes is because years ago, television, radio weren't what they are now. Right. Like, why would Ken Korak, why would, I mean, John Miller, why would what, what, Vin Scully, for God's sakes, didn't have a vote? Like, why? Well, we don't have votes for the Hall of Fame either. It's a joke. Yeah. I mean, it goes back years, and, you know, there are a lot of reasons for it, I guess, but it's okay. I've never lived in any other situation than that. But you know Uh, this, we have a bunch of columnists that we'll never even see here at the Coliseum who have Hall of Fame votes and they have votes on these awards when we're the ones who watch every pitch and watch every game. I I, I think I'm I'm safe to see. I think Ken Korak could vote for the Hall of Fame and for an American League MVP. What I heard years ago was that there would be the feeling that there would be an inherent bias on the part of somebody like me because I work for the team. And so I would be pushing for A's players to get in. But that line has been crossed so many times and blurred because writers are working for networks. They're doing pregame yeah. shows. They're working for, uh, you know, regional networks doing stuff. Or they're, who's to say that a writer who has a, and I'm not, I'm not attacking, you know, I'm not casting aspersions on any writer's uh, credibility or, or values or judgment, Chris. But, you know, a writer could be writing a, a, uh, a biography on a player. And maybe you'd sell more books if that player got in the Hall of Fame. So there's my point is that everybody has to everybody has to um, reconcile their own integrity in this game, right? And who's to say that a Vin Scully shouldn't have a vote for the Hall of Fame, right? Well, and, and to be honest, I think a broadcasters, for the most part, are so about integrity. And when you think of all the great ones, and that's why I bring up John Miller, Vince Scully, or yourself, or whoever, that your broadcast and the integrity of your broadcast means more to you than what happens on the field between the A's and the Twins, right? Like, that means so much to you guys that I, I, I have known so many of you where I would trust your votes because integrity Me, It's almost like a golfer, right? You call yourself on every shot. It, it well, reminds you, me of that. You tr- I appreciate you saying that. I think most people feel the same way. Whatever line of work you're in, you try to adhere to the tenets of your profession, right? And that's the most important thing. That is above all else uh, for me. And it's all about credibility. I mean, I asked Scully one time, on an interview in 1997 here at the Coliseum, the first year of interleague play, what's the essence of a baseball broadcast to you? And his answer was that we have credibility. And it was a simple answer, but it was profound because that's the way he built his career. Well, it's like Cody, I wouldn't trust him to vote. You know, dirt, no. dirtbags like him, I want he'd vote every pirate in for God's sakes. But Would you guys, trust his handicap if he were a golfer? No. Probably not. No, yeah. not at all. I, won't, right. I don't even trust him more enough to menu at a restaurant, <laughs> let alone playing golf with him. Um, 25 games left. Yes. What, what has to happen with this team? Well, they've got to win a lot of those games. 
right? <laughs> they have to win a lot of those games. And, I mean, it has to be it has to be the whole package. It has to be all of the various elements have to be performing well. They have to get starting pitching in the bullpen. I'm, I'm pretty confident in their defense. And I think they're going to hit, Chris. I really do. So, I guess with any, with any club, it, you would start with the pitching. Well, I, I think about how demoralizing a loss can be followed with a long flight. You've yeah. done this before. There's something about that. I don't think a lot, you know fans will never experience that, but there's something about getting on that plane for, I don't know, was it six, six and a half hours? Well, they actually stopped in Columbus to go through customs in Ugh. Columbus and then flew out, but it was – they said it went well. They were only there for about a half hour, got right back up and, and flew. And those things are not that unusual. We used to stop for fuel on our way back east and on the way back. Wasn't that unusual when I first started traveling with the A's in 96, Chris. So I think they're pretty resilient. I think the day off came at a good time. And I think you look at, at Sunday, you can almost write that off because of how well Robbie Ray has pitched this year. The tough loss was Friday night. Uh, but you've got to get past that, and I think they, I think they will, because like Bo Mel said today, there's a lot at stake. That's what you play for. I mean, if you were to say to a bunch of players when they gather in February that with 25 games left in the season, you've got a shot for the postseason, I think any player in the game would take that. You'd say, all right, let's go. That should be, that should be ample motivation. Let's end on this. So Chicago comes in. And obviously a, a soft spot in your heart. I mean, that's how you got to the big leagues. And you worked with some great broadcasters. You know, when you think about Chicago, you look back at your time. I know it was a long time ago, but, I mean, that, was, uh, that had to be, as, as a guy that, you know, loves baseball, just take us through that. I'll always say your best gig ever was San Jose State. But uh, <laughs> take us through that Chicago, White Sox, Ken Korak really getting his chance at the big leagues. Well, thanks. I had some great times doing the Spartans games. There was nothing quite like a Saturday night doing Spartan football at Spartan Stadium when they, when Mike Perez and those guys had it going. Heisman Chris, Trophy I mean. candidate Mike yeah, Perez. Yeah, it was great. No, I have a really warm spot in my heart for the time I worked for the White Sox. I was just there part-time. I was with them every weekend starting with the third week, the next to last week of spring training and the last week of spring training and the first uh, 20 weekends of the regular season. So 22 consecutive weekends, I commuted to wherever they played. But they treated me really well there, Chris, and the, the whole organization and media fans. Even though I, was do, I just did one game a week, I was like a starting pitcher. I did the play-by-play -play on Sundays for three years and on Saturdays in 1993, but... Uh, the late, great Ed Farmer. Who Ed was the, Farmer. Oh, yeah, what a I mean, good guy he was. Passed away before what would have been the start of last year's season. And he was just so great to me and a guy that was synonymous with White Sox baseball in a way because, you know, he pitched for them. He was an all-star for them. He grew up on the south side of Chicago, went to high school there, and he treated me so great, Chris, as a broadcast partner. I thought we had really good chemistry. And let's face it, the team was really good. And nobody's ever said good broadcast after a loss. <laughs> and so the, literally the first, I think it was the first nine games I did, they won. So I could do no wrong, right? It didn't matter. <laughs> with, I, I might have been awful, but they couldn't wait. They, like, rolled out the red carpet when I got there. You're like Greg Maddox. Yeah, you can't like, lose. Like, this guy's a good luck charm. And <laughs> with Frank Thomas and Robin Ventura and Jack uh. McDowell and the rest of those guys and Alex Fernandez, so... 
Um, it was great fun, and it was an entree for me in the big leagues. And it served from a professional standpoint as a bridge in my career. I think it gave my resume maybe a little extra credibility rather than applying for a job with the A's right out of AAA. You know, I had that, that white size gig in my, in my resume, and, you know, luckily it was, um, it was a real catalyst for me. So I had, I had a great time. Uh, I had a great time there. I really did. Well, people need to understand about your career that you've done some high-level stuff. I mean, not only big league baseball, as you mentioned, college football. You did big league college basketball for the great UNLV running Rebels back in the day. I mean, you're talking you, – you've done the tournament. You've done well, bowl yeah. games. Well, I mean, you've done a lot yeah. of stuff. Well, I've, I've been real fortunate, man. I didn't know any of this was going to happen when I was working in Petaluma 40 years ago. So I mean, you've a, done New Year's Day bowl games. Uh, I don't think I ever did a New Year's Day game. I th- did you I do did, like the Peach Bowl? I or did the, the Peach Bowl on New Year's Eve with the late, great Dave Ellis yeah. one year on radio. Uh, Kentucky against Clemson that year. Low-scoring game was a good football game. It's a national at, broadcast. At the Georgia, at the Georgia Dome, <laughs> yeah. So I've been really fortunate, and I've worked with some really good people, and I've had some great support. Uh, so I appreciate you saying that. But, I, you know, I've had a few breaks along the way, too. We all can look back and say that we've gotten, we've gotten a few breaks that have, have been beneficial. Well, I think about, you know, what you did for the White Sox. It's kind of like with the A's. It's a two-team market. Cubs are always going to be king. In our market, obviously, the Giants were here before the A's. There, there's kind of between the White Sox and the A's, wouldn't you say there are some similarities? Maybe so, yeah. The Sox, when I was there, was the second year of the new ballpark, and there was a lot of excitement, even though the new Comiskey has been criticized by you know, people around the game over the years, but there was a lot of excitement about that. The park opened in 91. I got there in 92, and they had this great young team that was just developing. So every game that I did, even on the road, they had great crowds. So when, when you're working Sundays and Saturdays, no matter where you are, <laughs> I didn't work any lean, like, Tuesday nights. But the other thing that was interesting about it was that Harry Carey was in his heyday with the Cubs on WGN when hey! I was, yeah. And I felt like with, with Eddie, because, you know, Eddie was really loose and had a great time, which was really helpful for me. It helped yeah. me kind of enjoy the experience more. I felt like we, there was nothing that we, we can't say, right? You know, there's nothing that we're going to say that's going to be as outrageous as what people have been hearing with Harry on the north side of town when I was there, right? Yeah. So How many Budweiser's cool. have you had since yeah, the seventh inning? Exactly. So, it was, yeah. And Eddie was, Eddie was so, he was just, he loved the game so much, but he didn't take himself too seriously. So there was a lot of joy in the broadcast with him and a lot of humor. Uh, you know, we miss him, you know, dearly right now, obviously, after he's passed. I remember the first time I interviewed him here, and it was... Well, he was a one-question interview. Well, we we taught golf. Yeah. Because he was a good golfer, right? And it was like... You're, you're Not like, only was he a good golfer, but he was on, like, the Golf Digest staff where yes. they, they rate golf courses. Like when Golf Digest puts out their top 100. And he lets you know he's played the top 100. <laughs> so, well, all he had to do was like call the most the most difficult golf course to get on in the world and say, Ed Farmer, I rate golf courses from yeah. for Golf Digest. And they, oh, when can you get here to play, Mr. Farmer? You know, like carte blanche. Literally did an inter- interview with him here where he critiqued Pebble Beach 
and Augusta National in the right. same interview. No, I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was the Pied Piper. He, he knew, you know, he was on the sidelines for every Notre Dame football game that he could get to. So, I mean, you talk about someone who knew everyone in the world, basically. You know, I mean, he might have been good friends with the Pope for all I know, you know, Eddie. <laughs> all right, buddy. I know you got to go. You got to get ready for this Thanks, game. Thanks, buddy. A lot am of fun. I, am I talking to you yeah. in the pregame? Uh, I think you've got Vinny today. Do I got Vinny today? I think so, yeah. So I'll talk to you and after I'll talk the ball to you. game. Thanks, bud. <laughs> the great Ken all Korak right. right here on A's Cast Live. This is Chris Townsend for my favorite golf course in the Bay Area, Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Tucked in the beautiful hills of San Jose, Cinnabar Hills offers the finest 27 holes of championship golf in Silicon Valley. Come see the amazing new renovated clubhouse and restaurant, plus patio dining with the most breathtaking views. Cinnabar Hills is far more than a golf course. One of the premier places in the Bay Area to host weddings and any type of events. There's no golf experience like Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Go to CinnabarHills.com. That's CinnabarHills.com. Streaming from Ricky Henderson Field, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. How great was it to have Liam Hendricks on? And, uh, he, and he only cursed once. I know. I, I really enjoyed his ponytail, by the way, too. Uh, uh, he's got a shirt on that says Ponytail Gang. Well, it's like what him, Kopik. Kopik has a ponytail. Uh, th- that's a bad look. Yeah, you weren't a big fan of that no. during the Field of Dreams game. Uh, who, who else? Uh, who else on the team on that team has a ponytail? I'm not. A, I don't watch a lot of White Sox games, but um, trying to think of who else on that team would have a ponytail. Are we getting my friend Tony Larusa tomorrow? Uh, confirmed. We're supposed to have Tony tomorrow. Uh, you said uh, you've never talked to him during the season. I couldn't get him, and the White Sox told me that we uh, would have him on Wednesday. So well, after I got the William Bean the third challenge, you know him as Billy Bean. What, what, do, you mean, what do you mean the third? He's a th- there's two Billy Beans in front of him? I think so. I think he's the third. <laughs> he's either Willie Be- he's either Billy Bean the second or Billy Bean the third. Um, William Bean, to be honest. Uh, you said I couldn't get him. I produced one of the most famous guys in baseball for 36 minutes. So we'll see if we can get the Hall of Famer, the great Tony La Russa, without having it be about ARF. I mentioned ARF in there, but oh, oh, we'll go, obviously. Oh, oh, this is gonna be for your third inning. But every single, because remember, I had him when we were on ninety-five-seven. The game, but I, I, I had him on multiple off seasons. We've never had him in season. But when last last time we had him in studio at ninety-five-seven, the game, he was retired. Well, we've had him on this show a few times. Yes, yeah, never, but he was he was working for the Angels and the Red Sox at the time. He but was look, retired. But look, okay, so on this date in 1998, you're going to use – I got it for you for the third inning. You can use it tomorrow, 1998. Too. Where were you in 1998? I would have been turning uh, 10 two months later. Uh, the greatest home run race ever ha- was happening that summer. And uh, – 98? Yeah, 98. McGuire and Sosa. That was 98? I thought yes. that was 97. Yeah, 98. Uh, on this date, McGuire hit 61 to tie Maris. Tomorrow, McGuire hit 62 to break the record. Who was the manager of the Cardinals? Uh, that would be uh, Tony LaRusso. So what do you think we can talk to Tony about tomorrow? Oh. Save baseball. So there's something to talk to Tony about that's not, uh, that's and, not ARF. And we've had the great Mark McGuire, who should be an A's Hall of Famer and should be a baseball Hall of Famer. He's an A's, he is an A's Hall of Famer. That's why we got him. Is he in there? That's why we got him because he's going in the A's Hall of Fame. He's in? Yeah. All right. So A's Hall of Famer. It was one of the great answers of all time. Like, what did that 
What did that mean to you that you saved the game? Because you think of three guys. You think of Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, and Cal Ripken Jr. It was Cal and his streak that brought so many people back to baseball after the strike. And then it was McGuire and Sosa who lit a fire under sports like we had really never seen. Speaking of – Then the national attention they got where it was every at-bat, ESPN's flipping to every at-bat. It was the first time – like we don't have it. Like right now, I literally with my press pass could walk up and just hang, hang around the cage for the White Sox. But they, back then, it, batting practice got to be so big, they had the velvet ropes, and they had to rope off batting practice because Sosa and McGuire, they got so big. Well, that's what made, the, that's what made McGuire breaking the record so great is because they are playing the Cubs. So I was watching the video earlier, and I got the broadcast call of John Miller and the late, great Joe Morgan on the call. And they show the video when he hits the home run. They show the home run go out, and Sosa's in right field, and he does like a fist pump, like, all right, yeah, like yeah. 61, and then 62, Joe Buck calls it, and everyone goes crazy. Sosa runs in from the outfield and jumps up, and McGuire, like, picks him up off the ground. It was awesome. You're right. It's a baseball, and I think it was the anniversary was yesterday was uh, when uh, Cal broke the, uh, broke the uh, Gehrig's record for consecutive games played. So it's all happened around the same time, like, you know, not in the same year, but around the – same time of the year when this stuff happened, and it, it saved, you're right, it saved baseball. I mean, look at me. I well, was 10 years old when this happened. Think about just how the baseball gods work. When baseball needed it most, it produced some of the greatest things we've ever seen. The streak, the home run race. Baseball needed that and somehow delivered. Like, what, what historic stuff have we got going now? Um, Nothing. I mean, even like Salvador Perez could break Johnny well, Bench's record. But we're it. not going to be – ESPN's not going to be going in to every single Salvador Perez at bat. I mean, let's be honest. We got pitchers, Robbie Ray. We're, 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 we're talking about maybe Robbie Ray gets 200 innings. We don't have anything historic going on. When baseball needed it most, those type of things happen. And I was in – I was just out of college, wasn't even married yet, and I remember every night was much – It was you had to watch it. It was incredible. Even the Bonds run, as much as we can't stand the Giants. and I, The Bonds run – I covered the Bonds run. I was now in the media at that point. Bonds' quest for the all-time title was incredible. and Obviously, and during that year, you had September 11th, where the season stopped and then came back, and people really needed baseball at that point. Well, that's, that's coming up. To that 20th anniversary, that's on Saturday. It's hard to believe. I know. That's crazy. It's 20 years ago. I watched something on Apple TV about that uh, over the weekend, but the whole series of events when that happened. But you're right, though. Like, just looking at, like, what's, what, what are we going to break into? I mean, maybe one Otani, if he gets close to 50 home runs, well, well that'll be a spectacle. But. You can talk to me about spin rates. You can talk to me about spider tack. The thing that I want most coming up next with the great Eno Saris, what am I going to drink in October? We'll find out next right here on A's Cast Live. This is Chris Townsend for my favorite golf course in the Bay Area, Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Tucked in the beautiful hills of San Jose, Cinnabar Hills offers the finest 27 holes of championship golf in Silicon Valley. Come see the amazing new renovated clubhouse and restaurant, plus patio dining with the most breathtaking views. Cinnabar Hills is far more than a golf course. One of the premier places in the Bay Area to host weddings and any type of events. There's no golf experience like Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Go to CinnabarHills.com. That's CinnabarHills.com.
Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. And from the Athletic, the great Eno Saris is with us here from the field as we get you ready for a little A's baseball as the Chicago White Sox are taking a little BP. And we were just talking about this, Eno. You know, there's some anniversaries coming up. And thinking about when we were growing up, where baseball got so bad after the strike that it took Cal Ripken Jr. to have the streak. It took the home run race between McGuire McGuire and Sosa. Sosa, And when the game needed history, and I even brought up Bonds because September 11th happened. I was working at KMBR at the time, and the Giants were in Houston, and it suspended play, but it was coming back. We're the country, and we think about the Mets and Bobby Valentine. Yeah, yeah. right? I mean, when the game needed history the most, somehow it happened. Mm-hmm. That's right. So what's going to be the, the, the big uh, baseball moment that is like post-COVID, we're back. What's that, what's that going to be? That's that going to be that this postseason maybe? Maybe it will be a really exciting postseason with fans in the stands and just be really exciting. Because we really don't – we were just talking about it. I mean – Salvador Perez could break Johnny Bench's all-time record for home runs in a season. Yeah. But we're not, you know, we'll be lucky if a pitcher even goes 200 innings. Like, do we have anything historic really going on I mean, right Otani, now? Otani is, is, is the answer, I think. But the problem is the market is not huge in Anaheim. Um, and it's also, uh, you know, it's a West Coast thing. So maybe it's not, it's not hitting the East Coast at the right times. But, I mean, Otani, it's amazing what he's doing. He's, he's basically a top 10 hitter and a top 10 pitcher. At the same time. Yeah, but but, but they're not any good. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's kind of like. It's not going to capture all of our imagination. Yeah, it's like the same <laughs> with, thing with Trout. Trout's obviously a, a historic player, right. but they're never in the postseason. And that's kind of a weird thing for baseball. And I don't know how you judge this, but you have a lot of the top talented guys in the game. All playing in Southern California. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can see it sometimes when there was a point at which the uh, California teams had the best record that California teams had ever had uh, collectively uh, this season. So you can, you look at the NL West, right, and you see Padres, Dodgers, Giants. You know, like that's that's it's they're gonna all make the postseason probably, uh, and that's pretty exciting for California. I mean, it's definitely balls doing good out here, but. I think the postseason, you know, it may end up being um, a, a team that captures our imagination and just blows the doors off. And it could be somebody like the White Sox or the A's, you know, underdog, underdog A's kind of idea. But uh, there's going to be somebody that, that steps forward and kind of takes our imagination, I think. So when you write an article, you're going to get reaction from the East, Midwest, Southwest. What's the difference? I don't even know if you pay attention, but if you do, what is the reaction to a national article like in different parts of the country? <laughs> uh, well, in, in New York, you get a lot of fervor, uh, and it's immediate and quick, and, and there's, a, <laughs> there's a lot of them. <laughs> um, I think that uh, you know, you, you'll get uh, a lot of, of, of energy out here, too. Uh, but uh, sometimes it just seems like it's a little bit more intelligent. Like uh, the, the, if they have a, a beef with your article, they're willing to kind of kind of come to the table and tell you exactly why they think it as opposed to, like, this sucks. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe that's part of why I'm out here. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things why I like The Athletic and I subscribe 
is there's a lot of smart stuff. And you really educated a lot of us a while back when you said pitchers are throwing more strikes than ever before. Mm-hmm. And it made me really – because, you know, I keep score for every game, right? Uh-huh. And so if a guy has two walks, one walk, four – unless a guy walks the house, mm-hmm. you don't really notice it. But ever since your article, I notice we'll have games where the A's don't have one walk. They don't walk one – doesn't matter how many runs they get. They don't walk one guy. Like, if a guy walks one guy, it stands out. Mm-hmm. Just talk about how I guess it's historic – whether we've got substances or not. Well, actually, that plays into it but, because. But but accuracy for pitchers is greater than it's ever been. We, we had that going into the uh, the sticky stuff for, you know, enforcement. But, in fact, what we saw after they took sticky stuff out of the game was what, what pitchers said, which is walk rate ran up really quickly. So A lot? Yeah. There was a – it went up – walk rate went up more than strikeout rate went down. So pitchers were kind of a little bit right about how much it was about command. Uh, there was a, a fair amount of people that had to then also, after that, find a way to command the ball again, whether it be the slick back hair that you see, wet hair. I've heard uh, people talk about uh, putting glue in your mouth or, or having glue somewhere because glue is non-toxic. You can eat it uh, before you're checked out. Wow. Uh, so this stuff is coming back into the game. We're starting to see spin rise again. The walk rate dropped again. So, uh, you know, a lot of times when you're, like, looking at baseball, it's in the state of flux, and it has something to do with what the commissioner's office is enforcing right now or, you know, what's going around the game when it comes to the sticky stuff. Okay, so. all right, right. So yeah. are, we, are we talking, like, super glue, Elmer's glue that we had We're, in elementary? Uh, like, what kind of glue are we talking about? I think about? super glue you could hurt yourself. No, I'm talking about Elmer, Elmer, Elmer's glue, the kind that your, your kid might have. You can eat that. You know that because your kid's eating. <laughs> we all ate it at one point. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and so I never forget, we're reading one of your articles, and I looked it up on Amazon. Uh-huh. I could get spider tack for, I think it was Fort, I, yeah, Amazon Prime. Uh-huh. I could get it in one day for fourteen ninety nine. dollars right. I'm, I'm like, I'm like, you're telling me this substance is... I give you 300 RPM on your fastball. Not like, like back in the day, steroids are illegal. They're expensive. Yeah. I can get something off Amazon Prime for $14.99, right. and it's changing the game. Yeah, yeah. That's why I think it, it, it got so big and so quick. Like, everybody was like, oh, crap. Plus, you have machines everywhere. Everyone's pitching in front of a machine. Like, let's say there's some pine tar out because the hitters were there or something, you know, whatever it is. You put it on your finger. The machine immediately tells you how many RPM you got. So it's like really quick. And those machines now are in every high school, uh, every uh, every college, those Rapsoda machines. Like everyone's pitching in front of a machine now. So, you know, glue, I'm sure there's stuff that I don't even know about. You know, like maybe bubble gum is, is amazing. You know, like there's whatever is sticky and you can eat at this point is something that you can use. Well, you know, it, it just shows you how archaic baseball is because the whole – Trackman, radar. I mean, that's been happening since the late '80s in golf. Golf has been because they were ahead. all about. It wasn't about performance. It was about selling clubs. Yeah. Hey, you need to buy this new driver. Like my brother talks about down in Carlsbad. Uh-huh. My brother's a golf pro. He was like, I was testing a Titleist on this stuff in the early '90s. Yeah, yeah. So it's like baseball is finally caught up. And I you think just that wonder. has a little bit to do with price points. It has something to do with like how many people uh, do baseball as a recreation in their age. Like, golf is more popular for people who are older who yeah. have money to spend. And so you, when you go and you spend money on a golf club, the set of golf clubs is pretty expensive, right? If you go buy one bat. 
Are, is there going to have the same amount of engineering in it? Are they going to do the bat fitting for you for your for your softball league? <laughs> like, I don't know. My, I think people are just like, I'll just buy that bat. It's probably the same as any other, right? But when you buy your golf club, you're like, no, I'm going to go get the whole yeah, fitting. Yeah, I'm spending 1,200 bucks. Yeah. I want to know that this thing. Yeah, show me the show me how it, how it flies. Are know? we are we? So you have an article out right now, command and stuff reports. What what? How much different? And what should baseball do for pitchers? Yeah, I mean, this is actually really cool um, that, you know, there's a, there's a good relationship here with Sam Schultz. She's one of the analysts here at the A's where you'll see her sitting next to the pitchers. She's like an astrophysicist or something like that, right? She's an astrophysicist. <laughs> and what's really cool is what she's doing is she's looking at these numbers, and, and you mentioned, like, what do I do with this? You know, I, I, you know when you're looking. So off air, I look at Eno yeah. and I go, I mean, I, I pitch my entire life. I don't know what this is. I, yeah. I either get people out or I don't. Well, that's why you have a coach. You have a coach. Honestly, that's why you have a coach. Your coach looks at this. He knows what that means. He translates. He looks at the machine, and then he gives you the thumbs up you don't have to know what every rpm or how much ride you want or how much drop or all that stuff the coach is going to tell you that one was good and then you can say okay i remember what that felt like i can do that again right and you get that that sort of translator the coach is a translator but what's happening is with all these numbers we can be more precise about what makes a good slider oh it has to be you know it has to be hard and have drop and it has to do this and the fastball has to do this it has to have separation from the fastball has to have some sort of relationship with the fastball and that's what we try to determine define with the numbers is just what makes a good pitch like that sort of separation and movement that separation and velo it's all in there and you know it can be a coaching tool you just need the translator. Well, I'm going to be totally honest with you. As I've gotten older and during COVID, I got fitted for brand new Titleist, right? There you go. And I was on track, man. That meant a lot to me. Yeah, yeah. But from a pitching standpoint now as I'm older, what do I care? And I just wonder, as we're talking about Robbie Ray, maybe the only guy to get 200 innings. Uh-huh. I'm looking at a bunch of relievers with four and five ERAs. You show me all this data. They're not getting people out. <laughs> so I wonder what is the data? What does the data mean? What does my rise? What does my spin mean if I got a 3.97 ERA? Yeah. Are you getting people out? Because in the end, right? That's all that matters. Well, there's an arms race. There's an arms race with the hitters, right? The hitters are doing the same stuff now. Now there's VR. Uh, you can train with VR. Uh, there are better uh, machines. Did you hear about this little red machine uh, that Tommy Lastella brought from uh, to, to guys here, but also brought it over to the Giants? They have a little machine that I can actually do slider spin. So they finally have like a pretty good hitting machine that does slider like, spin. Like the jugs, but it gives real sliders. Yeah, and uh, and wow. and uh, actually, I've heard. Uh, I was talking to Jed Lowry about this. Uh, in fact, getting fastball spin is more difficult for uh, for the machines. The machines just sort of spit out like a bland fastball. But when people actually are throwing fastballs, they're very particular about getting the seams right and getting that you know getting that four ride. seam versus two seam. Yeah, yeah it's and different. getting that ride or getting that sink and fade. And apparently, getting a, a pitching machine to do a really good sinker or a really good riding fastball is really hard. And so that's one of the reasons why hitters come out of the gate behind. You know, that's why hitters need pitch, need uh, spring training almost more than the pitchers, you know. Pitchers are just getting stretched out. They spend the whole summer going, oh, in you know, a whole winter going, oh, you know, I need a, a little bit more drop on my slider, or a little bit more ride. They can do that by themselves. The hitter spends all, all, all winter being like, okay, well, I got, I, got, I, got, I got big, I'm strong, I'm healthy, but I haven't been standing in against a fastball, you know, that, 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 really, that really moves like a fastball. By the way, so twice – 
So the A's have been to Japan three times. Twice I've been with them. Uh-huh. And you watch how the Japanese teams operate BP. Uh-huh. They got multiple cages. They got guys just doing stuff all over the place. And the Giants are kind of like that yeah. now. And people in it's funny how people in baseball, they want to resist, resist, oh, resist. Oh, my God. It's like, are you going to tell me what? I, I haven't been to a Giants BP because I'm not allowed in the stadium because of COVID, obviously. Yeah. So I've done when we play the Giants, I'll do it for my – but tell me, Giants BP, they got a bunch of stuff going on. Yeah. They're using machines more than live arms. Tell me yeah, how that's Yeah, they have, they have uh, two screens out front, and then they have a screen in front of a machine. So they have three different arm slots that they can do during uh, during batting practice. Then they'll do they'll, – they'll pitch – They'll throw one from the machine and then one from up front, and they're trying to change your your like what you're looking at. They're trying to change arm slots on you, and they're trying to change like you know this one's going to arrive faster, this one's going to arrive you know slower. Like they're trying to make mimic what it's like to actually be in the game. What they're doing is train harder, train harder for the game, train at game speeds so that the game is easier. The idea behind BP for a lot of people though is slow it down, feel good. You know, get a couple, you know, get a cut, just feel good. It's a feel good thing, right? You come out of BP, you socked a couple homers, you feel good, right? But for a lot of people, that's wasted time. You shouldn't, you, you should be able to feel good about yourself. You're a major leaguer. Like, just dig yourself, right? You know, like you made it, you made it. But uh, other people think that's, you know, uh, like I was sitting with one team that was watching them do it. And they were like, oh, this is a good way to pop up in BP. And the Giants hitter, like, popped up three straight times after he said that, and they were all laughing. So, you know, there are definitely people who don't want to pop up in BP, don't want to have the stress in BP. And then there are other people who see it as an opportunity to train harder and, and be ready for the game. Can I give you a great example from another sport? Yeah. So when I was covering the Warriors, Kobe Bryant, at the end of his career, you know, each guy comes out at sh- and shoots at a different time. Uh-huh. And they normally shoot by them. The stars shoot by themselves, right? Yeah, There's yeah, not yeah. other guys around him. Kobe had to be, I mean, you can look it up, Cody. About, he had to be like 35, 36. He's uh-huh. been playing forever, came out of high school. He worked so hard before the game. And we're doing a show, and I'm like, I can't. tired? <laughs> like, seriously, yeah. like, what's he doing? He went through every possible shot. He could have in the game. Wow! And I, I was like that respect, man. Yeah. I had so. It kind of goes to what the Giants are doing. Yeah. We're gonna see everything before that. We're training for the game. I respect that. Yeah. Mitch Haniger was saying that like when he came back this season after a bunch of surgeries, he had been off for two years. He was really worried about having his timing when he first came back. He said that what he did was he set the machine on 95. Right. He hit it. He would take a step toward the machine. If he hit it good. Take a step forward toward the machine. If you hit it good, take a step toward the it's machine. It's now coming 103. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and he said, so when I got to spring training, people were throwing 92. I was like, hey, this is easy. So a lot of people think that you should train. It's called differential training. You should just make uh, you should make things as hard as possible. You should fail as much as possible during practice because then it will make the game easier. Do you think what you guys are doing with the athletic makes the game more interesting and will help the youth who our kids deal more with math than we ever did. Mm -hmm. Do you think the science and the math will help bring the next generation to our game? Uh, You know, I think that's a very complicated question. There's definitely people who write at The Athletic who tell, you know, more traditional stories and tell, you know, long-form stories. And, you know, there will always be a place for that. We love stories. Stories about stories. Uh, There's a place for me, you know, doing my sort of scientific math stuff. 
Um, I don't know that we've necessarily all the dorks of nerds that like I'm calling myself one of them. Uh, You're the, ruining the game. Yes, I don't know that we <laughs> had the necessarily the best effect on the game, but that's not on us. That's not on us. That's not our fault. What we're doing is trying to win, trying to understand the game, trying to learn the game, and trying to and help people get better at the game. It's on baseball to then change the rules to incentivize what sort of baseball they want. You know, it's on baseball. Baseball can change the rules anytime. Lower the mound, move the mound back, do whatever you need to do because the velo is really high. Or how about this? The strikeouts are too high. It's not necessarily the nerd's fault that the strikeouts are too high. Learn how to sell it better. Yeah. Because going back to NBA, they have the numbers mm-hmm. of how much a guy is running. They can tell you if I shoot from this part of the court versus that part of the court, I'm better. Uh-huh. They have all these numbers, and the NBA sells it. Yeah. So the question is, does baseball got to get better at selling the data? I don't. I don't love the like report the launch angle and exit velocity on every homer because I'm like, I think that leads to a lot of people being like, well, uh, yeah, he hit it hard. I would rather hear about it less often and hear that was the hardest hit homer all year, you know, or that was his hardest hit homer all year. Or something like that, or that was the the pitch off the hit, highest off the ground that was hit for a homer this year, or the the pitch closest to the dirt that was hit. I want to hear about the the superlatives. I want to hear I want to hear it as part of a story, maybe you know a longer thing where you're explaining the stat and, and getting to some part of the the training that got to there, or whatever. I just don't want to hear it sort of reported, you know, every time someone hits a homer. Okay, that was 110 with a 23. On, I don't care. Yeah, no one cares. Yeah, <laughs> uh, something everybody does care about is the Bay Area as we hit into the fall. Yeah, this is our time to shine. Stays warm, Yeah, and it's getting cold everywhere else. <laughs> I mean, some of the hottest Niner games I've ever been to have been in October. Uh-huh. What do we do for beer as it's not getting colder, it stays warm? What do we do in the fall? What I would say is like a light sour. And the reason I'm saying this is because sours are barrel-aged, and barrels are usually what come out in the fall. So you usually get a stout, you know, these really thick beers. But these light mixed fermentation kind of saison-type sours, they're, they're lighter, and they're not as heavy, but they give you a little bit of that wood, that little that fall feeling. So that's what I would say. And there's some really great places that do it. The Rare Barrel, Santa Darius, they're among the, the two best places uh, that you could go anywhere, and they're they're here in the Bay Area. Okay, so to me, in California, whether you're here or you're down south, we got breweries everywhere. Mm-hmm. How do you judge a good brewery? Uh, there's like two ways. I think one is like stand out. Like, do they have one beer that I love? You know, and like Altamont Beer Works, they have Maui Wowie. I like that's a really good beer. I love it. You know, uh, but another way is. Uh, what's the worst beer like? Because, you know, you, n- you never want to have that worst beer. Then you're like, ah, I'm not going to buy them. What if it's like that other beer I had? Uh, so, you know, how, how high the floor is. And then the last thing I think that you could use to judge it is h- how good are they at different styles? Because there's a lot of breweries like Alvarado Street, I think, is amazing at, at pale ales. And, and, and um, you know, but I think Cellarmaker makes better stouts. They make really good hazy pale ales, but their coffee and cigarettes is one of the best stouts uh, I think I can I can think of right now. Have so. you ever been to Hoppus Brewery in Willow Glen? No, I'm not. So that's in our neck of the woods, and that's where I hang out with my buddies. Uh-huh. And when I always go up, and like one of my two favorite beers is not because they change constantly. Uh, then you're you're reaching for straws. You're, you're like, like oh. now what am I going to drink? <laughs> <laughs> right? I always right. want my staple to be there. That's right. That's right. And it's disappointing.
disappointing when it's not. Yeah, yeah. But but like a place like Alvarado Street, like they change their stuff a lot. So if it's not they, like their Mai Tai is is a really popular one. If it's not Mai Tai, you just know that it'll be good anyway. You know, the next one will be good anyway. And then we're gonna have to have you back because once we get to November. And we get December. Now we get to the heavy beers. The win- win- winter. Win- yeah. it change- it's not only for that, it's wine, too. That's right. People's habits change as the season goes. Yeah. Being in the restaurant business. Change from white to red. It's amazing how much more red wine you sell in the when it gets cold. Yeah. It, 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 it is crazy. And all of a sudden, everybody wants a cab, mm. but no one wants a cab in July. No. Right? No. You got to have some good timing. I could do this all day. (laughs) We got to get out of here, obviously, with the White Sox finishing up batting practice. Hey, what you guys do, I think, and it's kind of like what we do here with A's Cast, because I remember the consultants that we would have in the radio business who would say, shorter. Everything's got to be shorter. Your fans want to hear from you. They don't want long-form interviews. Uh We have found with podcasts, we found with good writing and Uh journalism, People will pay for it, mm-hmm. and people will appreciate it. That long form, if you do it well, is still good. I think the thing is, if you love something, you really want to dig in, you know, and you're not served well by short sound bites or whatever. If you really love the A's, you want to know as much as possible as you can about them, and you guys do a great job of that. Well, hey, thank you for everything you do, and, yes, once we s- we'll have you on again, obviously, hopefully in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. Be well, my friend. <laughs> Thanks for having me. The great Eno Cirrus right here on A's Cast Live. All right, everybody, thank you for listening. We want to thank Liam Hendricks, Tony Kemp, the great Ken Korak, and Eno Cirrus for joining us right here on A's Cast Live. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.